Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. I'm Rachel Woody. I'm here with Rick Insminger at Celilo Vineyard, and it's June 10th, 2016. And my first question for you, Rick, is why wine? Why wine? Uh, I don't know the answer to that exactly. It's um, This area here is uh, just uh, suitable for grapes. We, there's pears, a lot of pears growing up here on Underwood little tiny bit of alfalfa but the wine grape thing was uh, something that uh, we the the owner who was original owner was Dr. McAndrew mm. and um, he is a surgeon from Edmonds Washington he grew up in the uh, New York grape growing region and he he wanted to uh, he wanted to have a, a, a first-class vineyard, and usually when you say um, that a doctor owns it, that people automatically think, well, he needs a write-off. That's not the case here. He was really interested in uh, uh, to having a first-class vineyard and quality, quality stuff, and so uh, that's why wine grapes here on this particular spot. Incidentally, he he spent many hours and hours and hours going over all kinds of data and stuff to to get the location the uh, temperatures soil types he really researched it a huge amount mm -hmm. and he picked this spot so was this one of the first vineyards in the area yes in in underwood uh, we had another one um, across in white salmon, but uh, not much going on here for vineyard-wise. Mm -hmm. Orchards, yes, but not vineyards, pear orchards mainly. And what year was this particular vineyard planted? The first, these grapes went in in 1973. He purchased the place, I believe, in about 1971. This is just shy of an 80-acre piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was mainly above this next block of grapes up here, timber and brush. I mean, it was, we cleared it and logged it and uh, took a long time to get it cleaned up and ready for more grapes, but uh, we did it. How did you meet Dr. McAndrew? Well, <clears throat> I was helping uh, the neighbor who has an orchard next door to us and uh, he was helping the doc get started here and so I'd come over and help also. And I have uh, the, I got originally hired as the orchard manager because the doc, when I say doc, I'm not being disrespectful to his position, but when he first, when we first started working together, he, um, I'd introduced him as Dr. McAndrew and finally he said, when I'm down here, I'm just plain Bill or doc. So when I say doc, I'm referring to Dr. McAndrew. Anyway, we, we'd help uh, help him get going here, and 
I had previous orchard experience and he purchased an orchard that's a mile down the road, which I'll show you down there if you want later. Um, and he wanted me to be the orchard guy because the, the guy that was at running the orchard at the time was like ready to retire. Mm. And so I agreed to start. We came to agreement on uh, late December 1975. So and I said, we'll just start January 1st, 1976. So that's when I actually started doing, and my job was the orchard. He had a vineyard guy here from California and then he moved back to California, him and his wife. And so I kind of inherited the vineyard part of it in September of 76. So, and incidentally, I didn't know the first thing about wine grapes, didn't even like wine. That's all changed. <laughs> So how did you get started not knowing anything about the grape growing process? Well, a lot of meetings, we go to a lot of meetings. There was a lot of uh, conferences and things, reading, uh, you know. A lot of it's uh, pretty much the farming part of it is basically basic uh, common sense type things, you know. And uh, the first harvest was in 1976. We hauled all our grapes to one winery up there in Sumner, Washington, which was a long time ago. So a lot of conferences and a lot of self-learning. Was there any parallels from what you had done with managing the orchard to managing the vineyard too? Well, yes and no. There's, you know, the spraying part and uh, the, the importance of doing it correctly and um, that type of thing, just uh, not really. When um, in in the early days, well that was early days, 76, but we made a lot of mistakes and uh, I've always said education is expensive and, and we paid our dues or our tuition for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, some people thought we were crazy for trying to grow grapes here because our annual rainfall right here is 50 inches a year. Mm -hmm. And so um, <laughs> some people really thought we were off the charts. The other thing about as far as learning stuff, we had some very impressive people come and help us. Dr. Walter Clore, mm -hmm. who's a famous guy from, he came down several times. Another guy that really helped us along was Dr. Wade Wolf. And uh, he, he was with St. Michelle at the time and he was their field man or grower representative and he, he came and um, helped us give us ideas. Uh, one thing that Dr. Clore said, don't give up. I mean, find out what, what's gonna work for you. Mm -hmm. Not all this stuff's gonna work for you, but whatever, you're gonna find out and don't be afraid to try, but just hang in there and don't give up. Mm -hmm. And at the time, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, the grape prices were down a lot, way down. And uh, stuff, we had 10 acres of Riesling. Uh, we weren't, they didn't make it here. But it wasn't the grape's fault, it was our fault. We didn't farm it 
correctly like we do now. We, do, we didn't shoot thin or cluster thin or mm. uh, we had the wrong trellis system for this spot. And um, so trial and error, a lot of mistakes. So. Mm -hmm. Given all that you've learned for this area, what is sort of the preferred growing method and trellising system and the preferred grapes that grow really well here? Well, mainly whites. We don't really grow much reds. We, Pinot Noir will do fine. Mm -hmm. We did have Limburger, but now it's it's in that big vineyard in the sky because I pulled it out. But um, we we just white Gewurz, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay. Uh, we've tried uh, quite a few different varieties, different clones. We had two clones of. Um, this Chardonnay, two clones of Riesling, Winty and Davis 108. Mm. Uh, Davis 108 is one that we can't really do too much with. It's, uh, it needs more heat than what we have. And, uh, but the Winty is, is perfect for this area, for us. And originally we had a tea trellis system that was kind of the California style, but they, the vigor here is incredible. You know, in, in, uh, in August, uh, that stuff will be up over the top of that top wire. Wow. And just, it just, uh, the soil's very deep. It's volcanic ash. And um, somebody said, uh, one old timer said, yeah, this soil's 80 feet deep. So I'm taking his word because I'm not digging a hole <laughs> 80 feet to see if he's right. Mm hmm. So. Uh, what kind of soil is it in this area? Well, it's volcanic ash. Mm -hmm. We call it shot soil because you can see the, all, almost like the little BBs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you have to be careful because there's a lot of people that hit the ground. Whoosh, boom. Uh, yeah. yeah. Me included. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, they call it shot soil here. Parkdale soil. But it's Underwood Mountain, which is right there, is, it's an extinct, extinct volcano. Oh. And so that's why they, it's volcanic ash here. Mm -hmm. But we don't have any rocks in here. Any rock that you see here has been imported. Okay. And down the hill, down where the other vineyard is, at the, oh, it's about a mile and a half from here. They've got rocks in there as big as your car. Oh, wow. They, they put that vineyard in down there and they had a tremendous amount of rocks to remove. I mean, wow. hundreds of yards of rocks, big rocks. Mm -hmm. But here we just, just haven't found any. And the vines right next to us, what type of vines are those? These are Winty Chardonnay, some of the original planted in 1993. They've gone through some changes like um, trellis change. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. This is, this, I call this a modified Scott Henry because if, if you, if it's not exactly how Scott Henry did it, then I can say it's modified and then they don't know I made a mistake. <laughs> In intentional, yes, yes, I like that. <laughs> but um, it, this works for us, and that's another guy that helped us. Uh, we went down, spent uh, Doc and I have spent hours with Scott Henry himself, and mm -hmm. he he has a lot of the same problems we do: the ex as excessive vigor in the soil and the wind. He's right on the river down right. there, and the wind's a big deal for him, and it's a big deal for us. Mm -hmm. And so 
we were convinced that uh, his system would work here and we think it has worked well. Excellent. And so we, we started converting this other trellis system we had and so it took us a while but we got it done. We couldn't do it all at once. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's what we did. And any, any stuff at the lower place, which I'll show you, it, um, it all was uh, Scott Henry from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the wind, what are some of the challenges and strengths of growing in this area? Well, the challenge is to keep your canes and stuff in an upright position. And sometimes it'll blow so hard when it'll break a cane off, uh, snap it off on the wire. Oh, wow. And so that, that's one thing. Um, what, was the, what was the rest of the question there? Uh, challenges or oh. strengths? Well, I think strength is the fact that the soil's so deep and so, uh, so rich. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, that, then that means we have to deal with the vigor. And this, the cane, the, the idea here is to see um, a fruiting, two, two separate fruiting zones, which kind of you can uh, regulate the, the, the vigor with the crop load. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't irrigate, this is all dry land. We don't, there's no oh. irrigation available to us. Right. So, so you, uh, they're in the gorge, those helicopters, you can't. Oh, is that what that They're is? below us. Below us? Oh. Yeah, they sounded really <coughs> close. <laughs> My house is up at the top of the hill, and sometimes we can look down on airplanes. Wow. They fly right down the gorge. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So I'm sorry, you were explaining um, the strengths and the vigor, how to deal with the vigor. Well, there, like, again, um, it's just with the crop load and uh, uh, that's the way you can control it. And when, when you get going, like right now, these are in bloom. You mm -hmm. might get a close-up of that if you... You probably have plenty of pictures of blooming grapes, but... But not of this vineyard. No. <laughs> uh, I lost it. Where was that? Vigor. Um, oh. Yes. Yeah, the crop load, you can do that. And it's like, when the, as you're going into the season, you kind of get a feel for um, what kind of season is going to be. A cool season, a hot season. It's like early. We're early this year. This will be the third year in a row. We're really early. Last year was the earliest ever wow. that we harvested. And when was that? Uh, in September. Mm -hmm. Even uh, early September, very early at the lower place. But uh, you can adjust your crop load on your feeling for the season. Like, you know, if it stayed like this for another month, cool and windy and sprinkly, and then you would, might consider thinning a little heavier then, um, or if it's going to be really warm, you can kind of, kind of, it's kind of a crapshoot too. It's just like gambling. I mean, you think, well, it's going to be an early season, so you can leave it a little heavier. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, it's snowed knocked over. So it's just uh, the way it is. Mm -hmm. Who were some of the earlier wine and grape growing peers in this area? Uh, this area, um, when we started, there was only two wineries here. 
one winery down in Benjamin. There was five in the state and four or five in Oregon. So some of most of the ones that were started weren't aren't here anymore, really. Mm -hmm. uh, give me a hint on what we're going for there. Uh, some of the people in this area, when we got started, just trying to get a sense of the few people that were here uh, in the 70s and then uh, like how much that's grown since. One of the earliest guys was uh, um, in White Salmon, Chuck Henderson, and he had the Monalise Vineyard. Um, a guy named Don Graves down at the Dallasport. He's, I consider those two guys the grandfathers of grape growing here. Uh, another guy was uh, Chuck Blanchett from Hood River, had mm -hmm. Hood River Vineyards. Mm -hmm. He was an early guy in Hood River. Uh, there just wasn't much going on here. Um, as the years gone by, there's more and more, and uh, there's some more up in Snowden uh, grapes, uh, and uh, a lot more here on Underwood. A lot of pear orchards have come out and been replaced with grapes, mm -hmm. and so, I don't have a feel for how many acres of grapes we have up here, but it's, there's uh, uh, six or seven growers up here now on Underwood, maybe eight. And uh, we got oh, a couple of wineries. Uh, the one's right down the road down here, another one's up on the hill. Uh, let's see. But uh, it, Early on, it was just not much, not much going on. We had a, a long time ago. We had a meeting, and people were interested in growing grapes, and and the actual grape growers, and a couple of wineries, and there was a lot of interest, but not a lot, a lot of action. And mm. now there's a lot of action and a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. So. So for Salila Vineyard, who did you guys sell the grapes to in the early days? Well, <laughs> the first year we sold all to one guy up there in Sumner and then um, just dribbled around some two of the local guys, uh, Henderson and Blanchett, bought some from us. And then St. Michelle showed up and they got froze out over, over east. And so they were looking for grapes and um, that's where I made, met Wade Wolf. I was out mowing in the vineyard and uh, some guy hanging on the deer fence out there. So I stopped and said, uh, what can I do for you? And he said, well, I'm, you know, Wade Wolf with St. Michelle. And, uh, he could see, he, he was hanging on the deer fence out there. He said, oh, I see you got Chardonnay and some Gewurz and some Pinot Noir. And, and I thought, wow, this guy, he picked it, he hit it. And um, anyway, uh, he said they were looking for grapes. And I said, well, we only had about probably 20 acres here. I said, you're not looking for a little deal like it. Oh yeah, I said, we'll get any grape we can get. And so we sold to them for five years. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of had some sideline people coming in. And um, Rick Small from Woodward Canyon, uh, Ken Wright from uh, Carlton. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that kind of got us going on the map. Rick Small was the first, Ken Wright was the second. I mean, big name winery, you know. Mm -hmm. And so the part of the success of the vineyard has been the fantastic winemakers that we've, that have used the grapes and they've done some great jobs. 
-hmm. and uh, over the years. And so we've now, last year I think it was 25 wineries we sold to. Wow. So from Walla Walla to to uh, Willamette Valley in Seattle, uh, just kind of all over Northwest. Mm-hmm. Was there any talk about starting a Salila winery? Uh, years ago, the doc thought maybe, but he thought that was way in the future. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he passed away before that happened. And that's, uh, it was something he wanted to do, but not very, not very soon. Right. So in your time here, do you have uh, like a favorite variety of grape to grow or a favorite varietal to drink? Well, like I said, when I first started here, I didn't like wine at all, and uh, now there's, I haven't spit anything out lately. So, uh, but no, I, I really, uh, the, the Chardonnay, the Winty Clone Chardonnay, it just, it does so well here, and uh, it's, it's uh, not a problem to raise. I mean, it's well suited for this spot. More, and we have, we'll go down to the other place, but it's really, uh, Great. If we got into the uh, Gewurztraminer is a big deal. We had a lot of Gewurztraminer, and when in the bad days when I was saying when the, the prices was two hundred dollars a ton across the board, uh, even though some of the the Riesling was tough to grow, um, acid high and sugar low, but the Gewurz came through even in in ugly years of you know poor growing seasons. The Gewurz so we stayed with it. And uh, we've been selling over 50 tons for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And so, but the, the Chardonnays are kind of our signature, that and the Gewurz. Pinot Gris, doing real well here. We do real well with that. Pinot Noir, um, that's coming along. We're farming it for the winery that buys it, Syncline, down in the Lyle. And, uh, a lot of the stuff we farm according to the winery specs. I mean, they buy it by the acre, by the row, mm -hmm. and that's really a great way to do business. Because when the winemaker comes out, and or their field man, and, and uh, they say, you know, one cluster per shoot, or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. we customize mm. growing it for the wineries. And, uh, and then it, take some of the burden off the grower because the winemaker is the guy that's going to say, he's the guy that's going to pull the trigger and say, let's, let's get it. Mm -hmm. And um, some, a lot of these guys do this by taste. I mean, the numbers are important, mm -hmm. but the flavors, the winemaker himself, like Ken Wright or Rick Small or, or Chris Gorman or some of the guys that really do the big job with the Chardonnay, they're, they're pretty much flavor oriented mm -hmm. so so you had mentioned that when you came into the the vineyard business you didn't have a, a love of wine at that time how how did that change uh, well we'd go to a lot of meetings and uh, and usually at lunchtime they'd always have wine and so once I started having wine with food it made a big difference mm -hmm. and that's when I talked to young people just starting out I, you know, I say, try it with with food. Don't just sit down and slug down some Cabernet. Start off easy and you start off with the food. 
Mm -hmm. And so just going to the meetings and stuff like that, I started learning to to appreciate what what I, what I was doing there. Mm -hmm. So in your tenure here, which is an, an incredible tenure, how have you seen Celila Vineyard change and have you seen this area change? Well, Celilo's changed in fact that we, we were, um, we really honed in on what we do, what works for us. And so that's, that was their key to moving on. And, we're, and especially, and then of course, the more we learn, the better job we do and the, the more wineries that were, there's kind of a waiting list for some of the grapes. And so mm. that was a novelty because years, years ago, I, I don't know if it was Rick Small or who, I said, I'll give you a couple of tons of this Winty Chardonnay because I think you're going to like it. And so I said, I'll just give it to you. We'll deliver it. And uh, to get them to where they would, you know, so that was a, that was start. But the changes, um, just our techniques, our, uh, how we're handling the vineyard. Having, selling it by the acre, or by the row, has is, is really been a change, a good change. Um, and the area here, uh, the, the change has been that uh, there's been a lot of uh, newbies get in here and buy 10, 12 acres or whatever mm. and put grapes in. And some of them are going to go through the same growing pains that we went through. Mm -hmm. They're putting in some varieties that may or may not make it here. And so the changes there is the fact that we have a lot of new people coming in on Underwood Mountain, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. So Doc was the one that got Celilo started. Uh, who came in after Doc? Uh, Nobody. Nobody? Well, I mean, as far as other vineyards? Um, when he passed away, how oh. did it transition? And then I know it recently transitioned again. Right. When the doc passed away, it was on uh, January 20th, 2000. Mm -hmm. And he had a, his wife, and uh, they had five kids. And um, Mrs. McAndrew said, the farm's got to make it on its own because we don't have the the income to support that because the kids were in school and mm -hmm. yeah he had four kids in college at one time wow so so uh, anyway yeah with being a surgeon he had a pretty good income and he could mm -hmm. uh, i joked with him and say uh I need a new sprayer so better do some gallbladders or some kind of an <laughs> operation there to get me a new sprayer <laughs> but Mrs. McGandrew said there won't be any more of that deal. So, but so we just, uh, I just ran it with, n there wasn't much involvement with the family because they were really busy with their own lives and the kids were young and starting their own families. And so we mm -hmm. just continued on. I kind of, I tried to do when we expanded down to lower place, I tried to, uh, I knew what the doc was going for, and I, I kind of stuck to that program that I know he would have proved, mm, mm -hmm. like with the varieties and what we did. We took out some old orchard and put in some stuff in the lower place. This place is uh, straight south slope. Uh, 
and down there, we're about probably 1,200 feet elevation here, 1,200 foot. And I keep talking about the lower place, it's a mile down the road, and that's where the, the orchard was. It's gone now, but it's about 900 feet. It's got southeast slope, and there's, a, there's about probably an average of four to seven days difference in bloom time between there and here. Mm -hmm. Except for this year, this this year and last year, both places are blooming at the same time, which is not, uh, it hasn't happened very often. Mm. So, but it's just a difference in the two ele elevations, 300 foot elevation and, and, and that good southeast versus straight south. The other thing, the fir trees across the street are acting like a big barrier for air drainage and it provides some shade later in the year, so. And then uh, for Salila Vineyard, I believe it was bought by Corliss Estates? Corliss. Corliss, Corliss yes. Estates. They had uh, they been buying grapes from us for about 10 years and then Mike Corliss is the man and he, uh, he always, they really enjoyed getting the grapes, they're getting the Chardonnay from the lower place. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, he has, this is a sixth vineyard I believe, they, they have five oh. over in Walla Walla area. Two wineries, fabulous places. And uh, they do a great job with their wines. Got a good winemaker, they got a good organization. Mm -hmm. So I think what, with these new people and, and um, they're gonna be able to take this to another level. Uh, they're gonna change some varieties, which probably won't hurt anything, and change the trellis system. And so, and they're willing to try, you know, they know that they're gonna make a few mistakes mm -hmm. coming and going, so, but uh, if you're not willing to make a few mistakes and learn, that means you know too much already. <laughs> And then I believe you are transitioning into retirement. What is uh, that like? Well, it's <laughs> some of it's pretty darn good because a lot of the reports and the stuff that we have to deal with and the, and the government and uh, uh, all the surveys and stuff that you get, it's like I'm giving it to the new guy. <laughs> I like it. Nice. And I can go, we got grandkids that are in sports and now we can, Usually, you know, that's in September and we're always in harvest of pears or something, so mm -hmm. now I can get to visit and watch the grandkids and travel. We like to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. In fact, we just got back. That's right. Do you think you'll still keep your hand in the dirt, so to speak? Uh, a little bit. Uh, this year, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to get them through this season, you know, harvest-wise and everything hopefully, and um, as a consultant. And uh, the young man that's taken my spot, he's a, he's a sharp guy and he's young and he's ambitious and he knows a lot about the grape business. And uh, so I think they'll do fine. Good. Uh, during your tenure here, what were some of the accomplishments you were really proud of? I think probably learning enough to know what's what's working for us and go go with it and to um, be able to make the adjustments that we made to mm -hmm. make us successful it's successful because of the location 
when you go to a meeting, they location, location, location. That's what they tell you. But that's a true story. Because um, we found out what we can grow here and what we can't. And, and so uh, it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. But as far as uh, just being able to, I feel that we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish to start with. Mm -hmm. Coming up with a, a really classy, um, quality grape. It's one that suits, you know, fits us right where we're at. And so uh, I guess we've adapted to the spot versus having, uh, having to adapt to different, you know, varieties and stuff. So, yeah, it's, that's, that's what I think. I just like the fact that to think back and think, well, all the mistakes we made paid our dues, and uh, with the wineries we work with and everything, it's just been uh, that's the the the, the accomplishment accomplishment that I feel is the fact that we we have we were smart enough to figure out what what worked for us and what didn't, mm -hmm. or lucky maybe uh, maybe we were lucky enough instead of smart enough. I don't know. Probably a bit of both. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Farming, you got to have some luck in that for sure. Mm -hmm. What was one of the most important things you learned? Patience. Mm -hmm. That's not been one of my virtues in my life, but uh, in this business, you got to. Because when you we put in something and it didn't work, it took you several years to get to figure out that it wasn't going to work. So you had to be patient on that. Um, mm -hmm. What else was it? Uh, what was one of the most important things you learned, or if you had advice to give somebody new, what would it be? Well, I'd, I'd give them the advice that Dr. Clore gave us. Uh, don't give up. Mm -hmm. Keep plugging away until you figure it out. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, we, we, we went by what he told us, and uh, it's a good thing we did. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this could have been a Christmas tree farm. So, oh, which reminds me, we had we've had a lot of people come and you know experts and a lot of people advice and a lot of good people. And one person from California came up and said uh, she was a professor at some place down there, and she looked at the place and we talked about the rainfall and this and that. And she said, my advice would be to make this into a Christmas tree farm. It's like. <laughs> At the time, it sounded kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> what makes the Columbia Gorge such an ideal spot for grape growing? I, well, climate's one thing, but the climate limits us to what we can grow, of course. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that the soil here, I, I, I believe that this, it's the soil. Mm -hmm. And being on the Underwood Mountain, that's a plus because everything goes downhill from here. Mm -hmm. So the slope and everything is pretty nice. Wind's a challenge, uh, rain's a challenge. Actually, we've, I've never used an insecticide on the vineyard, ever. We use uh, fun fungicides for mildew, botrytis is our two biggest enemies, and gophers. And gophers. Uh, the soil, like I said, has no rocks, and uh, of course that makes it easy digging for the gophers. And it's a hand-to-hand it's a, a -hand combat with those devils. Wow. Yeah, they're just, they're devastating. 
I imagine they do a lot of damage to the rootstock. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. These older vines, you know, they're they're pretty tough, but young vines, the first two or three years, it's just you got to be hand to hand. And there's, there's never-ending supply of them. <laughs> we had a guy, we had hired a guy to just trap gophers, and sometimes he'd get anywhere between 350 and 700 a month. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's some, at two bucks a head, that's some serious gophers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, serious problem. <laughs> he trapped all over out here in Underwood, there's a lot of people that hired him and thanks to the gophers his kids went to college and have a nice pickup to drive and <laughs> nice <laughs> uh, you've talked a little bit about how this area has changed uh, for the wine industry where do you see it going from here well it's it's just going to keep going up because we're having more vineyards coming on the hill here and um, uh, we're getting to be known as a, as a uh, we're in a this is the, uh, we're in an AVA here. And uh, so I, and we're getting more, a lot more recognition and we're getting some really good winemakers that are, mm -hmm. you know, and you, all the winemakers, not all of them, but some of them in the early days started out and it was pretty rough, pretty rough drinking for them. Mm -hmm. And, but they've really, uh, we've got really some great winemakers in the area. Uh, so I think it's just gonna go, grow there's more more interest in the area. And then you have more wine, you have more grapes and you get more wineries and it's, it's just gonna go up. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, both states, Oregon and Washington, both have had a tremendous increase in, in number of wineries and number of acres. And uh, the good ones survive and, and some of the ones don't survive, but uh, there's always someone coming in right behind them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good, a lot of good wine people, a lot of good knowledge. And uh, uh, the other thing I think is that people like to share, growers share. I think winemakers share mm -hmm. information. That's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good deal. Uh, we are in the Columbia Gorge JVA. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, which of course is both Washington and Oregon. What has the relationship been like between Washington and Oregon wine people? Uh, <laughs> pretty much, it was pretty, it's pretty, been pretty good. I mean, it's a lot better than some areas. There's, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of competitiveness there between the two, but overall I'd say it's it's good relation. Mm -hmm. So, in the early days, uh, it's better now than it was some time ago, let's put it that way. Um, I know in some other interviews we've done for like the Walla Walla AVA, which is also Oregon, Washington, mm -hmm. um, even just the different laws for the different states can make it quite difficult. Uh, is that similar to in this AVA? Yes, I think it is. And it's, it's too bad because, I mean, you know, the same AVA and the only thing that separates us is the river and uh, I think some of the laws and stuff are just uh, between the two states. It's the states that are doing it, not the the industry itself. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know if, I just don't understand the reasoning for it, some of the rules and regulations. And I don't know a lot of them, but the wineries are saying, 
you know, we can't do this or we can do that. And, and so it's like, it's tough. Right. Well, I believe that was all of my questions. Did any pop up for you guys? Yeah? Um, I'd love to know why you decided to go into farming in the first place. <laughs> well, believe it or not, uh, I was driving a log truck before I got this deal. But I had, I had some previous experience in the orchards up at this Mount Adams orchard up here in, above White Salmon. And so that's why the, I'd worked for them for two years. And, uh, and that's why the doc, he knew that I had that experience. So when he bought that orchard down below, um, he, th he thought that I would work out. And the logging at the time when, when I started here, um, I think the spotted owl kind of was creating some problems with the logging companies. And, and so our timing on the truck was less and less. And so I figured I'd better do something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's pretty incredible. You've been involved in the number one and now number two industry. Uh, in, well, yeah. for Oregon, I imagine it's similar in Washington, the lumber and the wine industries. Right, yeah. right. Down in Bingen, I don't know if you know where Bingen is, mm -hmm. it's, they have a huge sawmill there, plywood plant, stud mill, and, and it's a big deal. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're one of the biggest employers in the community, I mean, in the era, area. So, but then, you know, it's like you're outdoors and uh, we got pretty good view here normally. I suppose the mountain's hidden this morning. Yeah, so far. Hopefully we'll see it later. Because uh, it's just sitting right in our face right there. Mm -hmm. But every time you, somebody comes up and you want them to see the view, then it clouds up. Yeah. Bashful. <laughs> uh, was there anything that you wanted to talk about or any questions I should have asked you? I'll probably think about it when we're, when we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> that usually happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, no, I just, I guess um, I'd like to say that uh, the success of the vineyard has been really location, and that's due to the doc's um, dedication to finding a, a great spot for this. Uh, and working with this, some of the best winemakers in the Northwest, that's really been a big time deal for, for credibility for the vineyard's success. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say it's all me, but it's not. Well, I think it was a big part you for a long time. Well, I helped, yeah, but I mean, it's uh, there again, it's just, uh, I think it's kind of lucky to be able to be on this, in this area with, with the things, you know, the conditions we have, and uh, it's just made it uh, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I don't know. All right. Well, we can go ahead and end the taping. Thank you so much for your time. Not a problem. And it's beautiful here. Thank you for hosting us. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson.
producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.